Hi, I'm Scott. And I'm Jason. Welcome to Skipped on Shuffle, a podcast where we delve into an overlooked song by a popular artist. Today, we're going to be looking at the song Till the Day I Die by Garbage off their 2001 album, Beautiful Garbage. When we decided to do Garbage, I realized that the only record I have is just the greatest hits. So I started with that and listening back to it, I'm kind of surprised that I don't have actual albums because I threw that on and pretty much from, you know, went, went, rode in the car, went for a walk and kept it on the whole time. And from beginning to end, I was like, I love all these songs and that was a really cool listen and such a like throwback for me because they're not a band that I listen to that regularly. You know, when I'm feeling nostalgic for, you know, my night, my 90s stuff, uh, you know, then then you can throw on I'm only happy when it rains and, uh, you know, paranoid and all that good stuff. And um, I, I I'm sure I've said this before in other episodes, but it always just surprises me the bands that I haven't delved more into because in doing this and picking beautiful garbage i mean there's only two tracks on the greatest hits and it really doesn't represent the whole album all that well uh so it it was a really fun listen to me and and kind of jarring in a very good way yeah i think uh and we're going to talk about this as we get through there into the episode but i think you're touching on a thing that kind of plagues this band and has plagued this band from the beginning which is their like non-acceptance into the pantheon of like alternative rock music from the 90s you know like when we think of those bands we think of you know the huge ones the pearl jams the the stone Temple pilots the the smashing pumpkins nirvana all these like huge rock bands that we think of from that era and even when you start thinking about the the smaller grunge bands who maybe were had some big radio hits but weren't as significant to the overall musical history, somebody like, you know, like Bush or Our Lady Peace or whatever. Like, it's very rare that you see garbage thrown into that mix. And it's probably because uh, their their assembly, you know, as a group wasn't quite as organic as maybe some of those other bands, which, you know, had the classic, like, we're a bunch of dudes we met at a bar, got into a garage and started banging out rock songs. This this is not that. And we're going to go into that with the history. But not only that, but Garbage doesn't sound like any of those bands because of all the heavy electronics and the synthesizers and, and processing and studio wizardry that was going on. It, they kind of exist outside of that whole sphere. So you're you're you can be forgiven for sort of just like, not really getting into them or not are sort of writing off their their contribution to rock you know rock music in general because of all these like things that kind of encumbered them yeah kind of coming like i said i I feel like it's kind of coming back to the band after a a long hiatus of listening to them and i kind of have like a, a newfound respect for that especially um as you mentioned the you know whole grunge garage dirty aspect of we're just going to pick up our instruments maybe they're in tune maybe they're not and we're just gonna (laughs) you know start jamming and uh 
one thing that really stood out to me, and obviously with with Butch Vig being in the band, and we'll talk about him. Um, just the production quality of these records. And again, that stands very much in contrast to other bands where you're either doing the electronic thing and you're somebody like Nine Inch Nails or something like that. Or, yeah, you're just guitar, bass, drums, vocals. That's it. So, you know, this band, I think, very successfully walks that fine line between. But as you mentioned, you know, that can kind of, come back and bite you in the ass sometimes because you'll get people who are just like well that's not like how it's done and then you'll get the other people who you know the the other side of it the electronic geeks and they're like oh well you're doing a little bit too much of the organic side of things so yeah i I feel like they garbage just falls in this weird gap um but obviously not entirely because they as i mentioned with this greatest hits album you know every song was a hit and they're an incredibly popular band um, so we'll, yeah, definitely get into kind of the the history of how they came to be and especially uh, the glossy, awesome production that is beautiful garbage. The force you struck me down caught me by surprise. You sprung the mojo and it worked like a charm. I felt invincible with you in my As we kind of pointed out earlier in this episode so far, uh, unlike most bands we talk about here at Skipped on Shuffle, Garbage didn't form together as starving artists in their early 20s and then rise to fame by pounding the pavement. Instead, each member had already found differing levels of success within the music industry before coming together as a brand new group. In fact, each member was already in their 30s or 40s when the band was formed, aside from lead singer Shirley Manson, who was in her late 20s. Drummer Butch Vig was probably the most famous member when Garbage started to take shape. Having produced both Nirvana's Nevermind and the Smashing Pumpkins' first two albums, he was a well-established name in the alternative rock scene. Guitarist Duke Erickson had been a member of two bands with Butch Vig, first a band called Spooner, and then another called Firetown. Both bands received critical acclaim, but lacked mainstream success. Second guitarist Steve Marker had also worked with Vig over the years, but mostly as a producer or engineer. He had actually helped Vig assemble his very first recording studio experience by building a rig in Marker's basement. So these three musicians initially come together in 1993 to remix the work of other artists. Inspired by working together, though, the trio decided to form a band that took the sensibilities of creating remixes, but translated it into a standalone group. Initial sessions for this unnamed band featured Butch Vig on vocals. However, the trio decided that they were sick of all male groups and decided finding a female singer would be a better idea. One evening, Steve Marker was watching MTV and saw a music video featuring Shirley Manson, who is then in a band called Angelfish, which hailed from her native Scotland. The three decided to reach out to Manson and ask her to be in their new project. Interestingly, Manson had never heard of Butch Vig when she got the call. She was urged to check out the liner notes of Nirvana's album Nevermind, Obviously, she agreed to the meeting after doing so. On April 8, 1994, the four musicians met for the very first time in London. The momentous occasion was then brought to a standstill when Vig received word that Nirvana frontman Kurt Cobain had just committed suicide. 
We cover this in depth in our Nirvana episode, which you should check out at skippedonshuffle.com. The new band was then put on hold as Vig grappled with Cobain's death. Eventually, things started up again, and Manson came to a formal audition with Vig, Marker, and Erickson. Apparently, the audition went very poorly, although the four musicians all got along really well. Angelfish then disbanded sometime later, and Manson asked the guys for a second audition. This one also went poorly, with Manson feeling uncomfortable as she had never written a song before and felt completely out of her element. Still, Vig, Marker, and Erickson felt she could become something quite special with some encouragement, and asked her to join the still unnamed group. The band then got to work creating what would be its first record, a self-titled album. It had decided on the name Garbage by this point as a tongue-in-cheek joke under full knowledge that people would use the term against them if they didn't like the band's music. Still without a label, Garbage sent out demo tapes with no information about the group as to avoid a deal coming only on the basis of Butch Vig being in the band. The group eventually signed with a UK label called Mushroom and released their first ever single called Vow. Check it out here. And I can't stop when it comes to To the band's surprise, Vow became a minor hit, even though the band hadn't even considered it for inclusion on the record, let alone as a single. This set up a bunch of buzz for the eventual album, which dropped in August of 1995. Garbage's first record went on to become a huge success, spawning multiple hit singles that would go on to be some of the band's defining tracks, including Queer, Stupid Girl, and what's probably the band's most famous song, Only Happy When It Rains. I'm only happy when it Thanks to the big hits on the self-titled debut, Garbage earned itself a gold record and Grammy nominations, as well as successful tours. Its success continued when a remixed version of one of its earliest tracks became a hit single from the soundtrack to the 1996 film Romeo and Juliet. That song is called Number One Crush and is aptly named since it's the band's only number one single in the United States. Check it out here. When promotional duties for the first record wound down, the band found themselves under immense pressure to deliver another smash with their second album. The band decided to keep things simple by not changing the formula of the first record at all, but instead make it more layered and dense to push the sound as far as it could go. This is how the album earned its eventual title, which is version 2.0. 
The first single from version 2.0 is another one of the band's biggest singles called Push It. Version 2.0 wasn't as big of a hit as the first record, but it was still a success by any metric. It spawned a whopping six singles, including I Think I'm Paranoid, When I Grow Up, and the Grammy-nominated song Special. While the band was promoting version 2.0, it quickly head back to the studio to record the song The World Is Not Enough, which ended up being the title track to the James Bond film of the same name. Although the band didn't write the song, it became one of their signature hits. Check it out here. After this whirlwind of success, the band took a quick hiatus. It planned to release a collection of B-sides and rarities that would include a few new songs, but those plans fell through when their U.S. label was acquired by Universal. Instead, the band shifted to create its third record, which is Beautiful Garbage, the album in which the song we're talking about today, Till the Day I Die, appears. Unfortunately, Beautiful Garbage's first single, Androgyny, landed on the day before the September 11th attacks. The album launched three weeks later but received limited promotion. Still, it spawned a handful of singles, but none of them became radio hits on the level Garbage had seen thus far. The one single that's gone on to be a fan favorite is Cherry Lips, Go Baby Go, which you can check out here. We'll be talking more about this third record in a bit as we break down the song Till the Day I Die. After a short break, the band went back into the studio to record its fourth record. Rising tensions within the group put the record on hold, though, as Butch Vick relocated to Los Angeles and Shirley Manson moved back home to Scotland. However, tensions subsided after a few months and the band got back to work completing the record called Bleed Like Me in late 2004. The 2005 album Bleed Like Me ended up being the weakest performing garbage album up until that point, both critically and commercially. Its most notable single is the song Why Do You Love Me, which performed moderately at radio. (laughs) 
Exhausted and barely speaking, Garbage took an indefinite hiatus. It wouldn't be until a year and a half later that they would reconvene to record a handful of new tracks for their best of compilation, cheekily titled Absolute Garbage. Nearly five years after the launch of that compilation, the band dropped its fifth record called Not Your Kind of People, their first in seven years. Billed as a comeback record, the album received critical acclaim, but sales were disappointing and none of the songs became sizable hits. In 2016, the band released its sixth record called Strange Little Birds, and it just released its seventh record earlier this year called No Gods, No Masters. But now, let's go back to the year 2000 and talk about the band as they record their third album and the song Till the Day I Die. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Skipped on Shuffle. Right about now, in most podcasts, you'd be hearing an ad for something, uh, but we are trying to keep Skipped on Shuffle ad-free, and the way we're going to be able to do that is through Patreon. Please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash skippedonshuffle. Any donations go to support the costs associated with running this podcast. When Garbage went into the studio in 2000 to make this album, I I think it's worth reiterating some of the things that Scott just mentioned in the history, which is this band had just delivered two huge records filled with singles and had basically been doing the same thing for several years at this point. I mean, the first record comes out in 1995, second record in 1998 add that in with all the tours this band has just been working non-stop and i think it makes a lot of sense that for this album they kind of wanted to change things up and the other thing to keep in mind is when the band was first getting together scott mentioned this too the death of kurt cobain and kind of the plateauing and decline of the the grunge movement essentially and also kind of thinking about other bands starting up in this era, kind of new metal stuff going on. Um, so, so there's a lot of changes that have happened in just the short five years that this band has been together. So it really makes sense to not expect the same kind of album, even though I think in some ways you get the same sort of it's still the same sort of garbage to me when you listen to this album, like the production quality to me is like through the roof on this thing and it's a beautiful record to listen to hence beautiful garbage i'm sure they felt the same way um and and it's interesting to kind of think about this sort of rising tension in the band and some of that we can kind of attribute to personal things going on when we look at this record so shirley manson was going through a divorce during this album and So a lot of the lyrics kind of center on that. Uh, Scott had mentioned how Androgyny, their lead single, kind of failed. And that's sort of the outlier to me in listening to this album. Every every other part of this record kind of feels like a breakup album. And that's something else that I think is kind of useful to keep in the back of your mind, thinking um, how this album is, is kind of different and the different approach the band was taking at this time. Yeah, so the bands, you know, they've got two huge records under their belt, and each record had huge tours. 
you know, not only as uh, on their own, you know, headlining tours, but also opening up for other bands and all these other things. And then obviously Butch Vig also has a production schedule that he has to keep up. He's still doing other studio work for other bands. And, you know, they're, they're, they're doing all this, 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 this like whirlwind of activity. And then they're finally like, okay, we have to get into the studio and we have to make this third record. And just like you said, they, they, they're like, we can't just do the same thing again. As I mentioned in the history, you know, they, they very deliberately decided to make their second record version 2.0 because they were like, let's just take what we did on the first record, but just make it bigger and more dense. But they were like, we can't, what are we going to do? Version 3.0? Like we can't just, we can't just continue on with that. We have to do something different. And then when you combine, like you said, like, you know, the, 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 the decline of grunge music and, uh, you know, the, the, the buildup of, of these newer bands that are coming out that are doing like a much heavier, uh, you know, uh, rock sound, you know, garbage kind of found itself like, well, you know, basically like we could do whatever we want. Like we don't have to do anything anymore. We've we've ascended to a point where we can actually take a big risk and make a record that's very full, you know, full of variety. And and one of the things that you notice when you listen to Beautiful Garbage is how every song has a distinct identity, but somehow still ties in with the overall aesthetic of the record. It doesn't sound like you know. Uh, a bunch of different bands made a bunch of different songs and they just threw it onto a record. But at the same time, you could pick one of these songs out and listen to it and say to yourself like, wow, that sounds really good. And then pick another one and be like, I can't believe this came from the same record. Like this is totally different. You know, um, like, like, like what Jason mentioned with the, with the androgyny, the first single, that song sounds nothing like till the day I die, which also sounds nothing like cherry lips, go baby go, which also sounds nothing. And it just keeps going like that, you know, but it still ties all together and really creates this really interesting record. But, um, you know, I, I just don't think, I, I think that people just weren't ready for this at the time, you know? Like, I think this might have been, this record might have been ahead of its time in a way. And uh, with, with all the, with all the, the risks and the, and the changes the band took on in making it. And, and that may have just worked to their detriment at the time that it came out. Yeah. When I listened to this album and I mentioned this at the top of the episode, all I had was the greatest hits with, you know, two tracks on there. So I didn't have a very good sense of like what the whole album sounded like i mean for the first two they had so many singles that there's like five tracks from each of those on the greatest hits so you definitely get a good a better sense of what the whole record sounds like so for this it was uh, a really pleasant surprise and also something you know with the benefit of hindsight i immediately started thinking of like anybody that listened to this now would put it almost in the same category and uh, as as katy perry or pink or somebody like that just that level of production and songwriting quality um combined with you know badass you know kind of female singer um you know that that persona and that presentation uh it it just made me think like yeah this thing came like way too early and sort of uh, missed a mark in a way not that there weren't other female singers like that at the time but it just i don't know there's there's something about it that thinking about how wow this album is 20 years old it does not sound 20 years old to me at all um and 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 like i said i think the thing that really ties this album together and something we'll talk about more especially with lyrics of the song is this 
divorce and breakup that Manson was going through. And I think that's kind of, as Scott mentioned, the, the songs all sound so different, but I think the thread that ties most of them together is this really emotional thing going on. And uh, Shirley Manson is such a great singer and you can kind of feel it in all these different ways as uh, you, you, as you listen and navigate your way through this album, there's kind of all different sort of angles that she comes at it with. And I think oddly enough, it works in the album's favor, even though it's such a like really personal experience that she's obviously conveying through all these songs. It somehow makes her more relatable than, you know, the kind of like morose or alienated persona for some of those earlier songs that I mean you can just get that even if you're not that familiar with the band from the titles of the songs uh you know only happy when it rains queer you know this kind of you know feeling this this sense of like marginalization or not being sure you know who you are or, or anything like that and I feel like it still carries forward in this album but like I'm in a just a way more relatable way, even though you're not at all most likely in the situation that you're in listening to her singing these songs. Um, I, I was able to kind of connect to it more than, you know, some, some of those other older songs. And again, maybe that kind of threw people for a loop that things are kind of, whether you sense it or not, the lyrics are a little less open and being a little more specific about certain things and definitely getting, deeper rather than just being these kind of general experiences like oh you felt down and out and instead it's like oh have you felt down and out because this person you've loved you know is not the same person that they were and you feel like you've put your heart and soul into this you know like that that means a lot more than just being like i feel sad <laughs> like not not you know nothing and again nothing against the first couple records but i mean if you like pay attention to the progress and again the greatest hits was nice for me because it goes chronologically um so it makes that progression um that much more noticeable Jason was just touching on how the the lyrics of of this album mostly revolve around uh, Shirley Manson's uh, failed marriage, and she was going through a divorce at the time when the album was being crafted, and how that kind of you know uh, connects all the tracks together. But but what what I want to point out one more thing in relation to the overall album, and and especially as it relates to Till the Day I Die, is is that the band you know under that knowledge with the idea that okay our our lead singer is going through an incredibly emotional, difficult time that is invariably going to result in, you know, lyrics and music that are going to reflect that, you know, we should just make a somber, dark, moody, atmospheric, you know, breakup record. But instead, Beautiful Garbage is probably one of the poppiest things that they've ever done. It's certainly, certainly there's, there's a few songs on here, uh, you know, that, that would go into the most like bubblegum, sugary pop direction that the band would ever go in. And so to have those like poppy tracks 
combined with these like somewhat somber, dark, sad, you know, very personal lyrics kind of creates this, 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 this juxtaposition that I feel, I mean, and, and obviously this, this album didn't do, do as well as the first two. So I might be in the minority here, but I feel really, really works well. I love it. I love the idea of having like poppy, super sappy, quick, you know, bubblegum pop songs with these like sort of deeper, darker lyrics to them. Uh, I, I like that. I like that kind of, that, that kind of play. Like, you know, obviously I like a lot of bands that do, you know, dark music, dark lyrics. That's what we do, whatever. Um, but it is fun to hear like, you know, something different. And I feel like that's what the band really wanted to do with this record. If the band had one ambition with beautiful garbage, it was to, create something very interesting and very different from their first two records. And I think the song that we're covering today, Till the Day I Die, absolutely represents that. Because this song, I mean, the song is called Till the Day I Die. And the lyrics all center on how she's like, I'm going to love you till the day I die in an almost like obsessive and kind of like creepy way. But the song itself is like very poppy and super catchy. And it just moves as like this like completely radio friendly, you know, pop rock song. And, uh, but when you look at the lyrics, you're like, Oh, it it doesn't seem to fit, but it works so well. And that's what really makes me super excited about this, this song and this album in general. As you've heard in the clips we've played from Till the Day I Die, it might surprise you that this, out of four singles on this record, this wasn't one of them. And it's kind of why we chose this as, especially as a skipped on shuffle, because how was this song not a single? It blows my mind. It's so insanely catchy. It's so cool. Like, it just sounds so fresh to me. Uh, again, we're, we're listening to this, you know, we're talking about a song 20 years old at this point, but still sounds so damn good and it's so damn catchy. And I wonder if in some ways it's tied to, as Scott was describing, this weird dichotomy between we, you have this super catchy pop song with these dark lyrics throughout the whole thing and maybe it makes people kind of uncomfortable especially with Shirley Manson's delivery because I feel like you could do this in different ways and and you just feel like she's not being snarky or cute about it it's like I I am very upset and I'm pissed and I'm gonna express this kind of in this strange way that I don't, I don't know I, I struggled to think of another similar song I feel like sometimes when artists do that they do it you know, you know really purposefully and ironically but I feel like this it somehow makes sense and I think you know one of the only ways to do it because you know in, in looking at the lyrics of the song obviously till the day I die referencing you know wedding vows um, but also there's all this anger and hurt, but also this acceptance and kind of, as, as Scott mentioned, this weird, dark, I don't know. I don't know if obsessive is the right word, but just this acceptance of this love that I have for 
this other person will always exist and I kind of have to accept that but I also need to sort of analyze it and look at kind of how this went wrong and some of the like shittier parts of it and and that's not necessarily a bad thing to do in your life I, I don't know I, and I just feel like it's kind of okay I gotta I gotta move on I gotta look at this I also need to accept some things about this and for some reason just that yeah pop song formula really works and you wouldn't expect it to yeah i i think uh what's going back to what you said about how you know this song wasn't a single it may have it may have been that the lyrics were the were the the kicker it may have been like a studio you know uh uh, not studio a record label you know executive or whatever was like yeah this song's super catchy but you know i can't imagine a 14 year old girl singing this song. Like I can't imagine her identifying with this. So that's our market. That's who we're going to push garbage to is those young, you know, teenage girls who are like, you know, need a role model and also, you know, don't associate with like the more, uh, generic pop music of the day. Like that's our audience and they're probably not going to get this. So therefore we need to go to something else. And that's probably why they put picked, a, you know, androgyny as being a single because it would, it would sort of go towards those, those, you know, maladjusted, you know, kind of outcast youth who are like, yeah, we're queer, we're weird and no one really speaks to us. And, oh, here's a song that does, you know, but androgyny is really not that great of a song. It's actually probably the weakest song on the entire record. So it's, it's this, this, if this is how it went down, then it certainly backfired miserably because Till the Day I Die has some of the strongest hooks of the entire record and is easily one of the my top 10 favorite garbage songs in their entire catalog. So the fact that it wasn't even a single is really concerning. But let's look at the lyrics here. Let's, let's break out some of the lyrics and, and, and sort of explain why this decision may have been made. Because once again, keep in mind that that the 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 studio heads are trying to make it so that this you know these singles are going to appeal to the garbage demographic. So let's let's take a look here. So so um so this starts off you walked into the room, the sun hit my eyes, the force you struck me down caught me by surprise. You sprung the mojo and it worked like a charm. I felt invincible with you in my arms. So we're starting off strong here. <laughs> We're starting off, you know, I'm guessing this is her describing like when they first met or like when they were still like, you know, super in love or whatever. There, there might've been a little interest. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, things are starting off strong, but then it, it sort of goes down and it, you know, becomes a little darker. So she, then it goes into, I must confess it can feel good to feel pain like breaking waves or getting caught in the rain, playing those games because we had nothing to do. I was oblivious. I was losing to you. And then, you know, the chorus begins with, I will love you till the day that I die. So, you know, we start off with like a, a, a very relatable, you know, like you're awesome. Oh my God, I can't, you know, love I it. Th- yeah, love at first sight. Yeah, and love at first sight. Everything is magic. I, you're magical. I want to spend every moment with you you know, whatever. And if the song had just gone straight into the chorus there, I will love you till the day I die, then it would have a whole different meaning Mm. because it would be like, oh, you're so awesome. I'm going to love you till the day I die. Then it becomes almost like an anthem. Then it's like, isn't love the best? I love you forever. Love, 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 you know, but 
it takes a turn here with the second part of the verse where she's like, I was losing. I was oblivious to how I was losing this game that we were playing to you. And then it goes on and it gets a little even darker. Yeah. And I, I think I like, I like the second verse a lot because, uh, she kind of recognizes, Oh, every relationship has, you know, it's highs and lows and, and, you know, like she says, you know, it can feel good to feel pain because, you know, that means that, when you feel that strongly, you definitely love this person and care about this person and you, you know, relationships change and things happen. But then I, I really like the playing those games cause we had nothing to do. I was oblivious. I was losing to you. I don't know. I really like that to you versus, you know, that losing you. And, and I feel like it kind of puts that relationship kind of under a microscope and says like was this all just a game to you and this whole time i've been losing to you and i never possibly never had you in the first place i, I don't know there, there's something about that that kind of you know it's real it's real simple and subtle but kind of strikes me uh and then as you mentioned getting back into that chorus suddenly yeah it's an entirely different kind of core it's the same chorus but it's it's yeah you're just like oh i feel very differently now about this song and i and i think that yeah uh, bringing that up we're kind of getting into possibly why this wouldn't be a, a radio friendly too because it doesn't yeah sustain that same sort of feeling and emotion every time that you hear it yeah you brought up uh katie perry earlier which which i think is a brilliant way of examining this album and this song in particular, which is like, it was just ahead of its time. Like, you know, I could totally imagine Katy Perry singing Katy Perry lyrics over this song, you know, yeah. like obviously what makes it a garbage song and takes it to that, to that, to that area where garbage really lives is, is Shirley Manson's vocal delivery and the lyrics. But if you were to rewrite the lyrics here and make it like a, you know, a pop anthem, like firework or whatever, you know, this would be a completely, you know, completely radio friendly, pop friendly hit. Um, but then, so let's go into this next verse here. So then it, it goes, it goes even further down, down the rabbit hole here. So I love the beginning here. Holy Jesus, holy rock and roll. <laughs> I love that. That's great. The more I gave to you, the more you grew bored and making love became the waging of war. No peace, no tenderness, no fun anymore. So now we're really getting out of off. We're go, we're going way off the beaten path here because now, now the the like you said the lyrics to the chorus "I will love you till the day I die." Now, you know. Now we're concerned. <laughs> like <laughs> now we're like surely like you know this seems like you 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 might not want to be in love with this person until the day that you die. Maybe you know. And and once again, like this might just be why you know some record label boss was just like. No, <laughs> like, like I don't know what you guys did here, but you you ruined this song with the lyrics. I love them, obviously, and I'm sure a lot of other people, you know, listening to this are big garbage fans, and I'm sure they love this song too. But when you really break it down here, you can see why this song just might have gotten passed over for for being one of the band's big hits. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely very biting, very dark, very just, and, and also just sad, like. You know, and, and I mentioned this a few times already, just like, yeah, Shirley Manson's delivery to just, I don't know, there's something about the song of just being like, I am trying to keep it together and being strong in the face of this and trying to just, 
get through and you know very much by the time we get to the end a sense of moving on but damn is it hard and it sucks and i feel like the 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 verses definitely hit that and as we kind of keep talking about that wonderful contrast with with the chorus so by the time we get to the the end here and you know bridge verse four whatever you want to call it um the lyrics are i dreamt that i called out your name you turned your face to me and started to say something so beautiful it hurt deep inside so i will love you till the day that i die and i don't know that feels again just really heavy and really personal and really specific um to to have someone say something to you and just be like every time this person opens their mouth now it just is you know awful and hurtful and even even in a dream (laughs) you know things things aren't turning out right so at that point we we get into kind of the outro um farewell farewell i'm sure gonna leave you and just that you know repetition over and over again and now that combined with uh i will love you till the day i die kind of going simultaneously and you know obviously that sense of you know walking away and being done with this thing combined with uh, again the repetitions of i will love you till the day that i die so kind of it's an interesting way i think of being like okay this thing is over we're done and still a, a, a way to kind of carry all that baggage along with you like everything every every part of this relationship from you know that magical start to you know trouble in the middle to you know it's it falling apart in the end um having to keep all that in mind as you're you know walking away and i think you know while while this is a very personal circumstance uh for you know a lot of breakup albums we can probably all think of relationships that we can relate to being in that kind of situation have that kind of feelings and i think it's one of the one of the reasons why this just album is so good um we spent a lot of time talking about this song in particular but i feel like so many other songs on there do this great job disassembling you know things that went wrong along the way and it makes it such a good deep listen combined with you know being able to to tap your foot and bop your head along and be like oh this is like catchy as hell but also <laughs> i'm i am feeling things inside <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly and and sort of to 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 sort of uh to solidify what we're talking about here the very next track on this record after till the day i die is a song called cup of coffee which is uh probably uh you know I guess what we we consider like a ballad, you know, it's a quieter, more reflective song, not nearly a pop as pop friendly as till the day I die or some of the other songs uh, that, that we know well from garbage and cup of coffee. The, the, the main repeating lyric is you told me you don't love me over a cup of coffee. And it, and, and, and that's another great line that really hits hard home because, you know, I feel like, you know, a lot of people have had that, you know, that breakup where it's like, we're not going to scream and fight, And it's not, we didn't break up because, you know, we're no good for each other. We broke up because we just drifted apart or things changed or whatever. And you just sat calmly across the table from me 
you know, nursing your cup of coffee and was just like, I just don't love you anymore. And, and so when you hear that song after Till the Day I Die, it brings it even to more perspective of what's going on in her head and why a song like Till the Day I Die really resonates much, much deeper than it would if you just, you know, play the song in the background and don't really pay attention to what's, you know, being said in, in the track itself. You turn your face to me and started to say Something so beautiful and hurt deep inside So I will love you till the day that I die When I think of garbage, I think of probably two distinct, two specific songs. One is Stupid Girl, because over one summer, it had to be, obviously, after the album came out in 95. I'm pretty sure it was 1996, because I remember some of the other uh, songs that were out at the time. And sitting, watching a ton of MTV back when they played music videos, because before, you know, I, I had a job and had money and was able to go out and buy albums, you'd either sit and listen to the radio or watch and wait for the music video to come on. And I just remember one summer how I just kind of had the TV on all, <laughs> all the time in order to like listen to these songs and how many times I heard Stupid Girl and I love the song, and I just remember it, it's such a like low. It, it's not even a good music video. It's just, yeah, it's actually kind of boring. It's yeah, like, it's super boring. <laughs> it's just you know Shirley Manson standing there in grainy, filtered light <laughs> throughout pretty much the whole song, uh, and just how to this day I haven't seen that video in years, but I specifically remember like every frame of it because <laughs> it was just burned into my eyes and brain from from having the tv on and the other one is definitely listening to number one crush uh which is this like just hot sexy obsessive song like i mean it's it's probably you know kind of creepy but you're just like <laughs> man I, I i hope there's some girl out there who feels this way about me <laughs> being, being a teenage boy you're just like ooh, this sounds wonderful <laughs> you're gonna and, kill for me <laughs> wow thanks babe <laughs> i'm like oh this is the pinnacle of love and um yeah i i just remember hearing that song and loving it and it always makes me think of the song justify my love by madonna oh, like yeah. something something about that like just atmosphere this like hot heavy beat and i just i don't know i just it's always fun when songs make you think of other songs i call i i call those songs siblings where i'm just like <laughs> these these songs are like related in some way and they're like almost the same kind of song but different but those are those are kind of like my two like go-to garbage ones so it's been it's been fun doing this episode because not only have i loved listening to beautiful garbage and kind of gaining like this whole new appreciation for the band um but also kind of like going back and listening to these old songs and i'm maybe going off on a tangent here but i, I bought like a high definition music player and there's something about listening to the songs on that that has also given me um, a lot more respect for Butch Vig, which 
Scott obviously already was was carrying around for quite a while, but just you know, it's like really, like anybody that's interested in just like the technical production side of things, like these songs are way more complex and way more interesting than I ever gave them credit for, especially you know as a teenager listening to them in the '90s, and it's just kind of been a cool simultaneously nostalgic listen back to some of these things that I haven't listened to in a while. And also just kind of this wholly new appreciation for like, damn, like this is mixed really well. And you know, things like things, you know, teenage me would never have thought about or noticed. So it's been uh, interesting listening to this band. And again, if even if garbage isn't necessarily your thing, definitely throw on the greatest hits and and beautiful garbage. And you'll kind of have, I think a different perspective and, and respect for the band, especially when you listen to kind of a, a greater period of their career than just those first two albums, which probably, you know, as we've said multiple times, probably most people, you know, might be only familiar with those songs. I first got into garbage when the first album came out. And I also remember seeing the stupid girl video all the time. Like they definitely just played that, that video to death. It's a great song and I still love it. That's but probably why it was grainy. It was just played. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was just played it too many times. It was still on film. So they just, it was getting overplayed. Uh, but yeah, um, I, I wasn't a huge garbage fan, but I was a huge Smashing Pumpkins fan. And when I made the connection that Butch Vig produced the first two Smashing Pumpkins record and produced Nevermind, then, you know, was in this band Garbage. It was, you know, kind of, it was an interesting revelation for a young, you know, teenage music listener in in that era, in the early 90s or mid 90s, I should say. And then uh, one of the very first concerts that I that I saw when I was a kid was the Smashing Pumpkins on the Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness tour. And the opening act for that tour, uh, at least part of it in the United States, was Garbage. And so I got to see Garbage play, you know, uh, promoting the first record. And they were great. And, and, and also see right after they left the stage, also see the Smashing Pumpkins, who were also amazing. So it was just this really amazing night for, for me as a young music listener. But, but I think what I came away with was, was this, was this moment where I kind of made this connection of what was going on. You know, I see Butch Vig at the drum kit playing with garbage knowing that he's the guy who produced the band that's going to come up next. And just like, I don't know. I kind of felt like I was in on it, you know? And, and, and the way I sort of uh, summarized it is like this, this, the Leonardo DiCaprio meme where he's pointing at the TV with the drink in his hand. It's like, it's like, I know that I know what's going on here. I'm in on this. You know, I know who that guy is. I know how this band got together. I know how he relates. I know how this band got this show. Like, I'm sure it was, Bush Vig was like, hey, Billy, you know, Billy Corgan, we're, we're a band now, put us on tour. And Billy Corgan was like, all right, sure, you guys can be the opening act. Like, <laughs> like that whole deeper connection to how the industry is this small collection of people all sort of like moving in and out of these projects and stuff like that. As a kid, recognizing that was like a big moment for me as a music listener, because now like that's all I do when it comes to music. I'm always like, okay, who produced this? Where was it recorded? How does this relate to the rest of the music in my library? It's like this whole like conspiracy thing that I'm going on. And, and I love that. That's a big part of, you know, why I love listening to music so much is, you know, not just because of my emotional connection to the songs or the music itself or the lyrics or whatever it might be, but also just like the depth of, of the industry and how every 
everything relates to each other. You know, you mentioned like, uh, you know, the inspiration of, of or not inspiration, but the, the sibling connection of Justify My Love and Number One Crush, you know, two very different songs from two very different artists at very different times, but still relate in some way. And being able to sort of recognize that relation is to me really exciting. And that gets me like all excited about, you know, oh, like, you know, now I'm super excited about this song, even though I didn't even like the song, <laughs> but now I'm more into it than I was because I know something deeper and more secretive about it. Something that the general listener isn't going to get unless they go digging for it, you know? And so, yeah, I kind of like before that garbage show, before seeing Butch Vig at the kit and seeing how it all related together, I probably didn't do that. You know, there was no Wikipedia. There was no, you know, I, I, I was very limited in the information that I could get on what was going on. And so seeing that really was was a inspirational and kind of like, you know. I don't know. It was like a turning point in a certain way for me as a music listener and as just like a music geek in general. So yeah, uh, I, I, I love this band. I love, uh, this, this album. I love till the day I die. And, and we've mentioned this before, but I still don't know why this song isn't on their greatest hits. I still don't know why this song wasn't a huge radio hit. Katy Perry, if you're listening to this podcast, you need to take this song. <laughs> Someone cover this song. Somebody cover this song, please, and 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 validate garbage, you know, because this album, Beautiful Garbage, it, it didn't get very good reviews. It didn't do well in sales. And I feel like the band probably looks at it as kind of like, you know, their missed opportunity, their missed, you know, their their shot that didn't work. And and if somebody were to record a song from this or cover a song from it and really show, like, oh, this album has a lot more going on than people gave credit for at the time. That would be really awesome. Please visit our website at www.skippedonshuffle.com for more news about other episodes and our upcoming schedule. We are also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Please visit skippedonshuffle.com for links to all of our social media pages.